I think the reality is that our business has changed and is changing and the market has changed dramatically. The reality is the consumer has shifted and the underlying truth is they want more choice than ever before. They want more personalized solutions than ever before and that has flowed down into beverage. Welcome to the Total Refresh Podcast from Coca-Cola North America. I'm your host, Catherine Cherry. And I'm Jamal Booker. Consumer beverage needs are changing, and Coke is shifting its core business strategy in order to meet those needs. As our company responds to these demands and expands our beverage offerings, we want to know what these changes mean for our business. And importantly, what does this new strategy mean for Coca-Cola North America employees? Coca-Cola isn't the only company going through these changes, and we're not the only employee base with these questions. So, on season one of Total Refresh, we're doing something we've never done before. We're inviting people everywhere to listen in as we get real with our leaders. You know, for our business to be vibrant for the next 132 years, we need to follow the consumer. Today, we're gonna talk with Shane Grant. He's the president of the Stills Business Unit for Coca-Cola North America. Catherine and I are going to dig into the water, sports, tea, and coffee business for Coca-Cola North America. I wanna learn more about what's on the horizon for our beverages that aren't sodas. Exactly. Shane has his finger on the pulse of these market trends and what it means for a big industry to adapt to all of these consumer changes. So my title as of 30 days ago is, president of our stills business unit here in Coca-Cola North America. So broadly speaking, that's about leading um, our water business, um, our active hydration business, uh, our tea business, and our coffee business. He's originally from New Zealand. He's worked for Coke in Australia and Canada, and he's now based in the U.S. So I'm eager to get his perspective on how we lift and shift great ideas across international markets. How has the importance of our stills category changed in the course of the last few years? Yeah, I think, look, in some respects, I think even naming them stills categories is a bit misleading. I think, you know, the business we're in today is is truly the ambition to be a total beverage business. And the reality within that is, you know, there is an enormous and growing water category out there that consumers know and love, and it's changing quickly. The same in tea, the same in coffee, the same in plant-based uh, beverages, And, you know, I think that's really at the heart of what you see with Beverages for Life is us doing exactly that. And, you know, that's key for our future growth. It's key for us to be a vibrant business. And for me personally, I think it's a very exciting period um, of time in our business as we really focus on more intensely following that consumer shift. Um, So I think it's a very exciting period for us. So, obviously, based on your accent, you're not from North America. Yeah, for sure. So, I am from the South, but um, just a sort of more distant South, uh, I would say. So, I'm uh, I'm a proud uh, New Zealander, a Kiwi. One of the characteristics of the beauty of New Zealand is the very rugged environment. And one of the interesting cultural pieces of, of the country is that is that New Zealanders have very much an attitude to the land, which is integrate with the land. That is just a part of the DNA of the country, and it drives a lot of things in that country. So I can tell you our, our commitment as a company to World Without Waste, you know, just culturally for me, is something I'm very committed to, and I think it can become a real core part of our business strategy, you know, beyond the obvious environmental pieces that we have a, 
a real leadership role to play in. So I grew up um, in a place called Taranaki, New Zealand, which is a small area on the west coast of the North Island of New Zealand. I think it's it's interesting place to grow up culturally because there's you know a couple of dynamics of the country, which is one, it's far away. I mean, really far away at the bottom of the of the world, and it, it is like factually just at the bottom of the world. <laughs> um, there's not really much below it. You know, New Zealand is a you know it's a beautiful place in terms of you know physical beauty, but it's a long way away. So you've got to be very committed if you want to go see it. I would advise anyone to go see it, but you need to be really committed to do it because it's a very long flight. And I can vouch for that more recently because we have uh, we have two five year olds, and taking them back to New Zealand is a um, to some extent, a life-changing event uh, in, in every way. So you've got, I can vouch for the commitment you need to do that journey. But yeah, no, I'm a proud Kiwi and grew up really in just a small town in New Zealand. I think it's hard to shake country mindset from your bed. I'm from outside of Chattanooga, right. um, Tennessee. And um, I'm wondering, when you were studying political science, did you have one of these aha moments, like something that just kind of you had that that moment of curiosity or interest? Yeah, I think um, it takes me back a long way, by the way, so thanks for the question. (laughs) Um, We're digging deep. Yeah, I think for me, you know, I I actually studied a couple of paths. One was the political science piece and then business on top of that, and I really enjoyed both in equal weight. You know, if I reflect on the way that at least the things that I enjoy today about business and our business in particular, it kind of blends both of those things, is that you know, we're sort of equally responsible for the next 130 years in some year increments at a time. But then we also need to deliver the month and the quarter. And so I I enjoy playing in both of those worlds and sort of always have. You've been in different markets, so we're kind of curious with that global view, you know, how these different experiences kind of contribute to what you do now. I found my way to Coke. I would say purely the attraction of the brands and the global footprint of the business. I personally always wanted to have a global career. It was just a a real ambition of mine and the power of the Coca-Cola brand uh, in 2000, which is when I joined, Mm -hmm. was um, and remains so today, obviously, just an immense attraction to the business. So that that was really the kind of the path to Coke and obviously beyond that, it's sort of a career that began in Sydney, Australia um, some time back, then briefly in New Zealand and then to Atlanta and into the corporate centre for a number of years and then Canada, New York, back to Canada um, and now here into the North America business in Atlanta. So it's it's been a pretty, pretty amazing journey and to some extent sort of a multi-country journey for us, for me and, and as a family. So it's been a pretty, a pretty fun ride. Let's step back. When you were in Australia, a big change was taking place within our sparkling beverage portfolio. Coke Zero hit the scene. Mm -hmm. Can you talk us through um, what that was like as someone that was on the ground during this huge step for our business? And and what did you learn from that? And and how is that still relevant today? Some of those kind of early fundamental lessons in in beverage innovation. Yeah, I think um, Coke Zero you know, was obviously a huge step change in our business. You know, I think it was the start. One, I think it was the, a, a very good example of our business iterating. Because if you think of what came before that, the underlying technology under zero was actually C2, which, you know, we probably all look back on and think was, you know, not as successful as maybe we had all hoped at that time. 
what was really interesting about it is when you look back, the underlying product technology that lent to Coke Zero. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I think that's an interesting learning for us as we think about some of our growth behaviors today of iteration is kind of the bravery to do that and embracing what we might think is a failure and iterating it to be something which is obviously a huge global success story today. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, you translate that into the packaging where actually that brand launched in a white pack and very quickly we learned that was not the right move. And so we had the bravery to admit it was not right and evolve it and change it and put it into the marketplace and it took off. You know, I think that's a really great example of us iterating in the market. And we were doing that probably now what was sort of a decade ago. And now we're trying to do that with even more speed and bravery today. But, you know, it sort of gives me some encouragement that some of that DNA is in us. And I, I also think what's very exciting about that story on Coke Zero and now Coke Zero Sugar is the actual underlying recipe has evolved multiple times. And it's, again, a perfect example of us putting something in the market that consumers like and reserving the right to improve it and constantly improve it. And I'm sure we will continue to do that. You know, I think it's a very, very powerful example of iterating what is fundamentally a good concept, chasing a slightly different consumer segment, and just being able to scale up what was a very successful proposition that started down under. So I think a very, a very sort of compelling example for our business. Yeah. And, and I know that um, as we talk about lift and shift, I, I have to ask you, there's a New Zealand component to that Coke Zero story, right? And how we went from a white package to a black package. I think sometimes our business can appear very, very complex, but a lot of what we do, I think, is actually remarkably simple. And I think that white to black packaging is probably a really good example of that, which is, you know, if you think about some of the cues to appeal to a more masculine audience that wants a zero calorie beverage, the power of the black pack, you know, I think that was perhaps an intuitive thing, but it took us a while to get to, but it's a pretty compelling insight. And, you know, I can tell you having worked at Unilever on a brand like Axe or Lynx, as it's known, you know, in a lot of countries around the world, part of the DNA of that brand, as simply stated, the power of the black pack. Mm -hmm. So I think us embracing that and appealing to a more masculine audience with Coke Zero in its early days was pretty foundational. Yeah. And, but I also think within that statement, we do see a lot of very interesting beverage innovations and trends mm-hmm. uh, afoot. And specifically, some stuff happening with smart water mm-hmm. in the U.S. That's, that's rolling out this year. I'd love to hear more about that evolution of our smart water brand. And, and if you could speak to our focus on premium and what that means. Um, yeah, look, it's a it's a it's a great question. I, you know, it's take this for what it's worth, which is thirty days back into the U.S. market. But I think this is a truth that's emerging across a lot of big developed markets. The con- consumers fundamentally want more choice. Um, they are demanding uh, function, and they are demanding um, health in various forms with beverage as a carrier. And I think water is a really fantastic example of that. Where obviously that's a segment which is got scale. I mean, it's an enormous segment in the US growing mid-single digit with every reason to think it will continue to do that. And so it's fragmenting and there is more innovation coming into it. So the emergence of high pH water, you know, alkaline, antioxidant, and many other segments in water, I think is a trend that's going to continue. So obviously we've started to move into that with a power brand like Smart Water. And so you see us 
as of March the 4th, launching nationally into alkaline and antioxidant. And I think those are the kind of moves that we need to make. You know, it's called smart water. And so we want to <laughs> do innovation, which really leads the market and brings um, innovation under this, under this powerful brand. And I, so I think it's a great move for us and I think more to come in that space. I'm wondering more, too, like, if we look at smart water, you know, I'm not a very highbrow gal. I mean, I don't know what antioxidant water really means or what alkaline water really means or why I should like it or be drinking it. Could you tell me more about that? Well, I think one of the one of the underlying dynamics in some of these emerging segments in big categories, and water is probably the best example, and within that, uh, high pH and alkaline water is probably the poster child of it is these segments tend to gain momentum in particular parts of the country. So California is probably the best example of that in that segment. And it's sort of emerging and spreading from there. But, you know, it's there are very real regional trends that are emerging from different parts of the country. And part of our job is to get better at spotting those emerging movements earlier and being on the front end of scaling them. And I think with smart water, alkaline and antioxidant, you see us doing that. But these are highly competitive segments. They're highly competitive where these segments are big and they will become more highly competitive nationally. And so we have a real conviction to win in some of those emerging segments. Okay, now I'm going to quote you back to you. Right, that's exciting. (laughs) (laughs) You've said, speed trumps perfection, and this makes us uncomfortable because you've got to put decision-making in the right point in the organization. So be willing to let the brand go and be nimble and responsive. That part of the conversation is absolutely critical. So that's a bold statement. You're leaning into a risk how do we take that in stride at a big institutional company like Coca-Cola? Thanks for playing back that quote. Uh, <laughs> uh, it sounded probably a lot better when you said it, so thanks for doing that. Um, look, I think there's a, there's a few elements to that. W- one I would say if you think about our history and you think about the industry we're in in general, there is a bit of a mindset of and a history of and decades of history of develop test, carefully research, perfect, and release into the world and watch. That's kind of the nature of a lot of our history and the industry we're in. If you compare and contrast that to, say, the technology industry and more the world of entrepreneurialism, which has developed something at high speed, put it into the world and reserve the right to iterate it multiple times based on consumer feedback, I think that second philosophy is a very exciting place for us to go as a business and I think in general where business is heading across every industry. And fundamentally because the consumer is moving faster and is more demanding for variety and choice and different different iterations of beverage than ever before, we have to follow that. You know, of course the trick on that is probably a bit on commercial fundamentals and a bit on culture because our business to some extent is built on scale and so this is a new muscle and capability for us to learn. But I think we're, we're starting to do more of this and you know our still beverage business is an area where we are going to have to do more of this to be vibrant and grow. You know, I think one of the, the pieces of the business that allowed us to accelerate in the last couple of years was really sort of bravely 
embodying some of that more higher empowerment model and version of Coca-Cola, which is putting decision-making where decision-making should be, which is closer to the market, Mm -hmm. and trusting our very high-caliber people. To take this back to the to the growth behaviors, the growth behaviors are this foundational culture strategy that without it, total beverage, as you just described, really falls apart. For you personally, what is the growth behavior that you are focusing on right now that maybe you struggle with a little bit? And what are you doing specifically in your habits and practices to improve upon that? Awesome question. I think one of the personal challenges that I think about a lot is this notion of curiosity. I can tell you just one of the the challenges that I felt even in the first sort of six or seven weeks here in the US business is we're big. And that can create a lot of internal routines and to some extent needs to, but it, it creates a lot of internally facing time. A lot of that is incredibly valuable for us to be able to operate effectively, execute in the market, develop good ideas that find their way through our system you know, it's a very big business with a lot of people, a lot of big teams. But for me, something that I'm really mindful of is that needs to not sacrifice the extent to which I am and we all are in tune with the market, both the consumer and customer, the outside world of what's happening in our industry and beyond. And so I'm sort of feeling the pressure on that, you know, and I feel the tension and to some extent sort of carrying the tension on that already. And I'm starting to schedule just as a way to sort of escape that blocks to be able to make sure that I am market facing, be it with bottlers, be it with the marketplace in general, but being out in the market, as well as time for me with our teams to talk about the consumer and the categories and the segments we're in. And that we hold those two things in balance because If we don't do that, we're fundamentally not going to remain curious about the marketplace and where it's going, and we'll miss big shifts in the market. And so I think that's the biggest challenge for me personally is, you know, as I kind of come into this business and sort of relearn it to some extent, is being able to balance all the internal needs we have with the marketplace and the essence of kind of curiosity. So in this new role, uh, different brands, et cetera, a lot of challenger brands as we're moving to Total Bev. Just kind of curious how your New Zealand challenger background kind of informs that and the way you operate as well. Yeah, look, I think to some extent um, that cultural background and where I'm from is sort of a perfect matchup to the dynamics of the marketplace today. And so one of the things I've learned is to kind of embrace that um, small country challenger mentality and try and bring that to bear on the business. Because you know, when you look at our business, a lot of what we are in a lot of these categories is we are a challenger. We're a challenger in water. We are in sports. We are still to some extent in tea. And so we are on the offense on all of these segments. So I really tried to embrace that and bring it to bear. The offset, of course, is all of that's got to be done with really thoughtful strategy, precise thinking. But then when we go, we really go for it. And so I'm trying to sort of put those two things together in in a lot of the way I operate at least. And, you know, I hope that can be exciting for our teams and and the business. Cool. Rock on, Shane. So does your challenger mindset help you with your twins? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not at all because I'm always losing that challenge with them. Um, We have a five-year-old daughter, Alexa, who announced to me in the last weekend that I needed to get on the same page. And... um, (laughs) 
I asked her what that meant and she said I needed to get on her page. <laughs> so no, I've sort of lost that challenge of mindset already and seeded that. No, I'd be recessive on that one. <laughs> Alexa sounds like my kind of girl. Yeah, she I probably like is. Yeah. <laughs> so Shane, you are from one of the smallest towns in the world, arguably. <laughs> it's not that small. It is quite small. I don't know if it's one of the smallest towns, but let's just agree that it's a very small town yeah. in a small country. I'm not even going to try to say the name because I'll butcher it right. 17 different ways. But you're looking back on the arc of this journey you've taken, if and all the way from New Zealand, New York, Atlanta, Canada, now back at Atlanta, What's your big takeaway, not just on business, but you're talking to your five-year-old and she's, I don't know, let's imagine that your twins are 16, you know, and they're applying to college themselves or starting to gear up for their own adventure into the world. What's your takeaway for them? What's your advice to people that are also starting on this journey? Yeah, that's a big question. Um I hope my 16-year-old is open to advice at that point, but I, so I really hope for that. Questionable. Yes. Um, look, I think, um, you know, f- for me, it's a journey of embracing opportunity and risk. The sort of the courage to do that, I would hope that I can relay that to my children and it's has been a part of my story to some extent and I think that's something that has fueled me But what comes with that is an embracing of sort of new environments and discomfort and learning and figuring things out along the way. And that's not always easy to put yourself into new environments. And I, but I think that sort of notion of being prepared to put yourself into new environments, be it new markets, new teams, comes with enormous learning and enormous growth. I would say that's both professional and personal. So I think that spirit of adventure is a powerful driver. Uh, it is for me of sort of new challenge and constantly embracing that. And so I would hope I could relay that. But it's, um, I think it's a core part of what has fueled my journey. And, and how do you manage it all? I mean, you have a really important job and you have a family. Like, how do you manage that work-life, quote, air quotes, right, work-life balance? I think the honest answer is sometimes well and sometimes not well at all. You know, you want to do a fantastic job professionally. You want to be a great husband and a great father and you want to sort of find some semblance of looking after yourself along the way too. And it's really hard to always have those things in balance. And my own experience is that you go through phases of being really great at some and not so good at others and the emphasis shifts a bit from moment to moment. And so I've sort of learned to embrace that um, and that that's okay. But I would say also that I have an unbelievable support partner in my wife who is also has a sense of adventure and willing to take on new challenges together with our family and put ourselves into different environments and do different things. And she's just been an enormous support to me. She's actually ex-Coca-Cola as well. So she has a bit of an understanding of what our business is um, and allows our family to somehow stay on track. Thank you for joining us on Total Refresh today. This has been an excellent conversation. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Good job. On the next episode of Total Refresh. I wish um, I I could tell you that I joined Coke because it was a a great global company with global opportunities. The, The truth is 
it was more a function of the one company who said I'd be within 250 miles from home. Stay refreshed by subscribing to Total Refresh on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere podcasts are found. Total Refresh is a production of the Coca-Cola Company in partnership with Frequency Media. We're your hosts, Jamal Booker and Catherine Cherry. The show is executive produced by Michelle Corey and Rose Reed and produced by me. Cooper Skinner is our sound engineer and editor. Our music is composed by Thomas Avery at Toon Welders. And our artwork is by Tova Rosenberg. A special thanks to all the Coca-Cola employees who made this podcast possible.